0: Tooth and Claw, Issue 3, Lincoln, England, present day. The younger Duckstone, the son, Clive Duckstone. A large, wet lump of a man, his shaved head sat atop a weathered black jacket that bulged with muscle and fat. His neck tumbled out of the zipped collar, his skin pallid. He looked collapsed against a stained wall halfway back from the bar, barely listening to the two men who accompanied him. His mouth was constantly curled around a vape. The clouds sifted around their heads, blurring them into the murk. Clasping his near-empty pint, he dispatched one of his companions to the bar with a nod. Drake and Ross approached. What the fuck you want, the remaining man sneered. Drake ignored him and looked at Duckstone, handing him his ID. The big man barely glanced. We'd like a word if that's convenient, Clive, said Drake, pocketing the card. He looked hard at Duckstone. "'You can send your friend to the bar as well. "'Get him to get me another rum.' Duckstone looked Drake up and down. With a sigh, he heaved himself off the wall he was leaning on. It was no small effort. "'Aye, go on then, Teddy. "'Get him a rum.' Duckstone grunted. Teddy paused for a beat, then stalked off to the bar. Duckstone nodded at them both, placing his glass on the table still held in a bulbous hand. "'Father, talk's about you lot.' I've never crossed you before. A life lived in order, then, Drake offered engagingly. Duckstone gave a thin smile, then suddenly raised himself straight. A man his size loomed. A life lived however I fucking choose, he moved toward Drake, almost squaring up to him. Ross nervously glanced at Drake, still smiling warmly up at Duckstone. It didn't matter how good at dodging bits of trash Drake was, Duckstone could destroy him if he wanted, probably both of them. Ross had tackled big men before, they were often clumsy, but Duckstone had transformed from a knackered-looking sack to a tensed mass of force, suddenly taking up the space of three men. A slight twitch betrayed the poise of his face, his bulbous hands now strained in huge wads of fist. He hummed with violence. Ross set his feet. Growing up as a red-headed kid on the streets of Harlem had readied him for moments like these. Wrestling at college, jiu-jitsu, boxing. Working NYPD had brought its fair share of real fights too. He was five foot ten, stocky and hardened muscle. he kept his speed, though, and could strike fast and hard when needed. Still, looking at Duckstone's forearm, he couldn't help wondering how close he would get before he was swallowed up by it. The thing seemed as big as Ross's torso. Of course, Drake fairly oozed back. As per the agreement, and as you said, we haven't crossed paths before, so we're essentially on the same page. Works for everyone. Drake was still smiling up at Duckstone, whose face remained tense. Then... Exhaling a gust from his nostrils, sweet but with a petroleum tang, Duckstone relaxed. He grasped the last of his pint. So, what the fuck do you want, then? A small word with your father, Duckstone sneered, ha, let me guess. What happened at Sinsil Bank? News travels fast, Drake found. Not nearby, then, he said, quickly scanning the pub again. He's been in all evening, of course, Duckstone said sweetly, and where's in these days? He'll be expecting you, you know that, right? Duckstone took his newly arrived pint from one of his heavies. Drake took his rum, raised it in the air, downed it. Excellent. I hate to arrive unannounced. 203 Carlisle Walk, off the St Giles Estate. Got a bird shacked up there. Duckstone sniffed before taking another huge draw on his vape, then spewed thick plumes into the faces of the two agents. Jury's still out on those, Ross ventured, gesturing through the cloud at the vape in Duckstone's hand. "'Nah,' replied the big man, looking at it before taking another huge draw, "'this time snorting it all out his nostrils in an arcing blast. "'I'm going to live to a ripe old age, me. "'Long after you're in the ground, Yankee boy, I'll still be puffing away.' "'Instinctively, Drake placed a calming hand on Ross's shoulder. "'Get Howard to meet us, here, with a car,' his voice gentle with a warm surety. "'Ross kept his eye on Duckstone, still chuckling through the mist. "'Sure, I'll see you outside.' Drake's eyes followed Ross as he headed towards the door, then turned back to Duckstone. May I? He pointed at the vape. Duckstone's lip curled in bemusement. He regarded Drake momentarily, then handed him the vape. If you like. Drake took the scuffed chrome device and weighed it in his hand, slowly exhaling. Then he took a hard drag, long and sustained. Duckstone and his men watched with increasing amazement as he kept drawing. His cheeks rhythmically puffed in and out as he pulled down, his eyes closed as if in reverie. The massive cloud of vapour that eventually streamed from his mouth swirled in various eddies and tubes of contorted spinning. It murmured amid its own thermals and danced around the heads of the three astonished men. Drake finally finished the last of the expulsion, opened his eyes and grinned with satisfaction. I see the appeal, Clive, he said enthusiastically as he handed the vape back to the dumbstruck giant who looked down at it in a daze. The tank of liquid had been completely emptied. Who the fuck do you think you are, Duckstone roared, heaving himself up to his full height again with a lurch toward Drake. Drake pushed off his front foot, slamming his empty glass down on the small round table next to Duckstone's fist, jarring both up into the air with a clink and a thud. He pushed his left palm into Duckstone's sternum. With a fluid ease, he took the rising force of the man and channeled it back downwards. He guided him into a shallow arc and back against the wall. He raised his right hand to the two goons and glared at them before turning back to Duckstone. ''We hadn't crossed before, but we have now,'' Drake said firmly. If you ever disrespect my partner like that again, I'll rip your lungs out. His black eyes shuddered dimly in the weak light that bounced from the wall in the mass of Duckstone's frame. His words had a calm, subtle melody. Duckstone struggled briefly but was perfectly pinned, unable to exert his considerable strength. His arms were locked by his side so he couldn't flex forward or up and crush the man who trapped him. Father will skin you alive for this, he strained. Drake turned to the goons again. He took each of their gazes in turn, the dazzle from the light of the bar behind them suddenly suffusing his eyes with fire. "'You stay right there,' he commanded. Both men were rooted to the spot, shocked at the speed of the escalation. "'Your father,' he continued, turning back to Duckstone, "'knows how important proper respect for the agreement is, Clive.' Duckstone stopped struggling and looked away from Drake's stare. Drake slowly took his hand off him and stepped backwards calmly. "'This only has to be a lesson learnt once, gentlemen.' It's an often fraught relationship, but it's the one that seems to work best. Honour it. My father, Duckstone winced slightly as he righted himself, does what he wants, and you may well find his idea of honour and yours aren't the same. I genuinely hope that's not the case, said Drake, looking around the bar one final time before turning back to them. See you around, fellas. Duckstone shot daggers from his eyes as he watched Drake exit into the night. A blast of traffic and a lash of rain rushed in through the swinging door. Teddy, get me a phone. Sydney, 15 years earlier. Phasing shades of purple and red mixed with stabbing yellow hues in his mind, A pain running through him so acute it shut everything else out in a shrieking blindness. Every beat of his heart seemed to pump a burning jet through his veins. He convulsed in a rhythmic shuddering, each flailing, bleeding into the next, vibrating him at some infernal pitch. He felt his very atoms being wrenched apart. Gradually, diving in and out of the drone of pain came sounds. Huge, crashing gouges in the base, twinkled shards of melody dispersing above and direct juts of voices uttering just unheard instructions. The broken thunder of waves slapping into rocks and being lifted by the roaring wind into one large cauldron of noise. A relentless tinkling of bells as thawing streams cascade into melting banks and break loose the grass from its winter spell. Sand writhing in equatorial sun, beating out a reflexive organ sound, its pipe breath, the humidity and the click of cicadas. The air heated by flames, so it trembled and lunged, the cracking of wood and metal striking off metal. Robert heard these sounds and felt he'd always heard them, though there was nowhere specific he could place them. If they were his own aural memories, they now felt like the most important part of him, some essential characteristic of who he was. The pain may obliterate him, but if he could just hold on to these sounds coming from inside him, he may somehow remain. With the regularity of a kick drum, in between the throb of full-body agony, he could feel the initial contact of the blade Johnny had stabbed him with. Remembering the cold, hard ineluctability of it as his belly buckled under its point, a constant push and pull between the two beating sources of terror vied for his attention. Finally, the total flashes that ripped through his body began to dominate, so he was flushed with pure white coldness. We're losing him, came a voice, breaking. No, a firmer one replied, he is coming through it. Robert felt an age pass, as slowly the colors calmed in his eyes and a deep blue flushed his being. He began to pass through it, floating, as tiny effervesces swept the edges of his senses, a knowledge of great depth and surrounding volume. Suddenly out into a chastening cold, sparks of green now appearing over whipped gold, rustling over him like a racing breeze. Gradually, the speed of the movement slowed and he began to ease back into a swinging descent, buoyed by some cushioning underneath that rose over and then tumbled back down onto him as he was subsumed. Voices again, but now they seemed more weighted given edges and surface. He felt his eyelids tremor. He was alive. He couldn't understand what the voices said, but he recognized the female one, a slow lilt to it. The other was broken, male, older. Painfully, he prized his eyes open. He recoiled from the low light that filled whatever room he was in. A tenderness swept over the lower front of his torso as he raised himself slowly onto his elbows. The area started to take shape. He was on a camp bed in an average-sized room, full of packed shelves and boxes of cooking ingredients, vats of different oils, large bags of rice various steamers, pots and pans. Next to him on a small table, bandages, a dark bottle with a faded label, a mortar of crushed herbs. In the far corner, he could make out an old man bent over a cauldron. He was muttering to himself as he raised a steaming spoon to his lips. He was short but broad shoulders and his muscled body still moved with a sinewy steel. Robert could only see half his face but whips of facial hair bobbed in and out of focus as the man's head jittered above the bubbling pot. Just then a girl entered from an adjacent door and gasped to see Robert. It was Lian Hoa. Oh thank goodness, you're awake, she said, a smile dawning on her face. How do you feel? Robert looked at her, still in a daze, the pain in his stomach beginning to throb. His nose and forehead felt tender. Pretty lousy, if I'm honest. You are lucky to be alive, she frowned. Felt like I've been asleep for a decade. My stomach's really sore. He gingerly, he rubbed his bandaged abdomen. What happened? You have been asleep for four days, came a dancing, slightly cracked voice from the far end of the room. You should be feeling like an emperor. The old man pointed the end of the spoon at Robert. Robert. Lien scolded him in Cantonese, to which he raised the spoon grumpily and turned back to the cauldron. "'Grandfather is right. You have been unconscious for four days, Robert,' Lien said softly. "'Do you remember me?' Robert asked, trying to hide a sleepy giddiness. Lien allowed herself a brief smile, the corner of her eyes pinching and focusing the deep brown into a dark flash of shadow. "'The other night I heard a crash outside in the alley. I opened the back door and there you were, lying on the steps, bleeding.' So we got you inside. She looked at the old man. My grandfather, that is. This is his restaurant. The old man grunted into his cauldron. Lee and Hua continued. The next morning I looked in the alley and there was blood. Along the wall leading to the car park out the back. Do you remember what happened? Robert touched the bandage again and closed his eyes. The crashing of the bin in the alley as he fell over it he could remember. But nothing after. Before that... A grey quiet, surrounded by walls, his knees cold and scraped on a hard floor. The gang of men, Johnny and Grom, it came rushing back, the hard snap of Grom's punch to his nose, the concussive strike of Johnny's hand, then two blades going into him. The first a bludgeoning shock, the second a creeping insinuation. He snapped his eyes open. Bile rose in his throat. It was that guy who was hassling you. He jumped me with some other guys. They stabbed me while, raised her hands to her mouth and came closer to the camp bed. Her slender fingers crossed over her trembling face. I knew it. I knew it. It is my fault. No, no, of course not, Robert reassured her. That guy is bad news. You were right. You had only tried to help me, though, she said sadly, then steeled herself with a short breath as if to stop from crying. You almost died, Robert. Robert reached out and, with no little pain, locked her hand in his, looking up at her. I didn't, though. And I was right to intervene with that guy, especially considering how dangerous I now know he is. A wince of pain stifled his laugh. He looked at his bandage. How did you fix me up? It it still hurts, but I can move. It it feels like it's healing. He moved to lift the bandage. Lin Hua darted forward and stopped him by taking his other hand. Best to leave it covered for now, Robert. She paused. Grandfather knows what he's doing. Robert looked at her and felt her squeeze his hand gently. You still aren't 100%. The old man now approached with a bowl of something steaming and acrid-smelling. Lenoir is right, young man,' he nodded. His skin was weathered and tough, a smooth brown lightness to its colour, but a riven coarseness to its texture. He wore a small red chef's cap that covered curls of greying hair that fell down to his jaw. He swept them back behind his ears with a long, bony finger. His other thumb was crooked into the contents of the bowl. His top was stained with a million hastily conjured dinners. His plimsolls slapped on the concrete floor. You will soon be better than ever, but a day or two more rest is needed. He raised the bowl to Robert's lips and bade him drink. Especially if you still feel tired. I'm a little disappointed, considering. Lien Hwa scolded him again, just as the thick liquid left the bowl and slipped into Robert's mouth. He had the consistency of rotten fruit and tasted of burning stone. He started to gag, but the old man shot his spare hand forward to stop Robert's mouth. Swallow it, he ordered. His black eyes suddenly widened to take up much more of his small rounded face, the light of the room reflecting back towards Robert's own. Robert gulped. The old man withdrew his hand. That was, I don't quite know, Robert stammered. He felt his head tip backwards, hang on some invisible fulcrum, then tumble down and back up again, the liquid charging down his throat and into his chest with a searing bloom into his lungs. He fell back into the softness of the bed and felt his eyelids begin to droop. The last thing he heard was the old man's voice. You will know soon enough. Written and recorded by James Fisher. Edited and read by Andy Bennett. Music by Aquifer.